0: It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the show tonight, we celebrate the launch of Ireland's latest cookbook, Tacos by Lily Ramirez Foreign, and we will be talking to the lovely Lily herself. And we'll also welcome Canadian Amanda Fumiani, who has recently launched the Cosmic Sweets. But before we hear from our guests this evening... A reminder that you can make contact with me here at the best possible taste by emailing me, Sharon at SharonNoonan.com, or you can tweet me at QueenOfOrg as in Queen of Organization, and I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Nunan. So Lily Ramirez Foran is the founder of Ireland's first Mexican boutique grocer and cookery school, Picado Mexican in Portobello in Dublin. And Lily has been living and cooking in Ireland for 20 years with her Irish husband and business partner, Alan. She's a woman on a mission to showcase Mexican food beyond its cliches and misconceptions. And her cookbook, Tacos, is the first in a series from Blasta Books, which is a new publisher that aims to prioritise new, previously unpublished voices. I spoke to Lily yesterday morning to congratulate her on the publication. So let's have a listen.
1: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
0: Lily, congratulations on the publication of your fabulous book, Tacos. We must go back to the beginning and tell people, how did you end up in Ireland, first of
1: all? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, anyone anyway, who knows me knows it's it's true love. Definitely not the weather that's keeping me in Ireland is just uh, so I met Alan, uh, my now husband. Uh, gosh, I was we were doing some and I think we're coming close to the 25 year mark. Um, So we met in Japan while we were both uh, part of a, studying Japanese as a as a. We're in a study group uh, that the government of Japan um, has every year. So they bring people who are learning Japanese at university level to Japan for the first time. And we all get bundled together into these uh, one month trip. And I was there representing Mexico. Alan was there representing Ireland. And uh, we we met over... Um, over a tea ceremony and that was it I knew I knew when I saw him that was it he didn't but uh, you know I'm persistent so <laughs> I love a good romantic story
0: like that so I, I do. know
1: and
0: over a tea ceremony so like that's very much part of the Japanese culture so the food and everything out there is that something that you
1: both shared a passion for it's amazing because when when I look back initially I, I didn't really, I never thought I was going to end up in business when like my family has uh, a history of of food, um, food businesses going four generations back. You know, there's always been, uh, food has been always central as a, as a trade in my family and growing up in the business trade, my, my dad had um, Most of his life, he had a a tortilla baking business, right? And all of his family are in the tortilla baking business. And when we all had a chance to decide what we wanted to do, we all ran in complete opposite directions because we had grew up in the business and it's really tough. It's, It's basically the equivalent of a bakery. It really early mornings, very physical job. We just, nobody wanted it. When dad retired, we were all like, nope. Thank you very much. But no, I wanted a career in something completely different. So we went, we went, uh, I ended up studying languages and working in in, in business and, you know, as a translator and I did loads of different things um, uh, in large corporates. And then when I look back, most of the the defining moments in my life were actually tied to food and meeting Alan was one of them. Um, because, you know, we met over uh, a, a Japanese tea ceremony and then we met again eating donuts on the same trip. And then we just kind of ended up hanging out together after that. But every defining moment in my life has actually completely and utterly been linked to uh, linked to food. So I, I now laugh at my reluctance of um, of getting involved in a food business with in the family food business, because now I have a food business myself. And and some of the most amazing times in my life have been um, when I'm with food and most of my friends are in food now. It's it's a bit strange, but look, it's destiny, I suppose. Absolutely.
0: But you must tell us how you ended up to, uh, ended up opening your business, because when you first came to Ireland, Did you work for other people? Like what sort of jobs did you do when you initially came here?
1: Yeah, so when when Alan and I decided that we spent a lot of time meeting, like from when we met in Japan, there was like, there's a four year gap between me moving here and us meeting in Japan. So we kind of got tired of meeting halfway. I came to Ireland on holidays. He went to Mexico first summer. I came to Ireland another summer. We met in New York, uh, New York the following summer. Then he went back to Mexico. So we were like, OK, we just need to be living in the same country to figure out whether this is going to work or not so I decided uh, to take a career break and come over I came over as a student I wanted to feel i had always I'd studied languages but I didn't have a business degree so I thought I was lack but always work in business so I thought was I was lacking in that department so I took a uh, I took a career break and came over and indeed an undergraduate in international business. And I realized I had this very, very keen interest on um, in food and you know making food because I think what ended up happening was that I, when I came here, the first three months were amazing. I loved my meat and tree veg. everything was new. It was this beautiful honeymoon with Irish food. And then I started getting really homesick. And I looking back, I, realized that it was the fact that, you know, we're so connected to who we are and uh, through our food. And I wasn't eating any Mexican food. because 20 years ago, there was absolutely nothing in here. You know, what was passing by Mexican food was really some twisted version of Californian or even Tex-Mex food that was nothing compared to what Mexican food was. So it was really hard to get Mexican food. And in any other time I had lived abroad, there was easy access to Mexican food. Here, that wasn't the case. So I went through, you know, a period of being really, really depressed because I, I, you know, I blamed everything, the weather, the, you know, not having my family around and, you know, finding it hard to make friends, but it was definitely the food. So then I went through a year of trying to cook Mexican food with uh, what was here, which was very little. You know, my in-laws had never had an avocado or a mango. There was there was no chilies to be found. So. I I tried everything that was out there and I was constantly and, and I feel really sorry for Alan, but I was constantly whinging about the lack of Mexican food. So I think he just and anybody who knows Alan knows he's so patient and so calm. But I think I must have filled the uh, his um, his quota of whinginess, because I remember very clearly One day he turned around and said, well, if you don't like it, stop whinging and do something about it. Just don't complain anymore. And I thought, you know what? That's true. So the first thing was starting to write about Mexican food because I was annoyed that was passing by Mexican food at the time. So I started a blog and then in order to cook for the blog, I needed to get ingredients. And I took a deep dive into where I could buy and um, and how quickly I could get it and I ended up realizing that there was a gap in the market and that we could uh, feel that gap and being uh, my father's daughter um, I, I, I'm an entrepreneur it's in my veins Alan isn't Alan is more kind of you know he, he found it very difficult to kind of and he still has a full-time job but I think initially he found very difficult that transition from, you know, having a paid job that's secure and safe. Um, Although those jobs I think are gone, but anyway, he's in academia. So he's still in that sort of remit. to having no salary and not knowing where your next paycheck was coming from. Uh, And so I kind of said, okay, well, let's find the halfway house between that And we opened an online shop that we both uh, could run on the weekends, at nights. It was all, you know, on your spare time and we still had full-time jobs. And then I spent four years of my life doing that. And then one day, again, the entrepreneur in me, walking um, at a lunchtime in Radmines, I saw this little, empty, almost derelict shop and I was like, I wonder. And I remember laughing because I, I, I had gone through four years of learning e-commerce and I thought, you know, I knew everything about it. Uh, it's, I knew I had the business down to a T. And then I realized when we uh, when we open, I said, sure, you know, how hard could it be? We have an online shop. How hard could it be to have a physical shop? And oh my God, was I so wrong. Uh, It's a completely different, it was a completely different ball game. And it was again, another four or five years of learning how to, how to be a shopkeeper. But I I have no regrets. It's now 11 years since, uh, since we opened the online shop. And I, I don't think I could change it. Uh, you'll hear me complain, but I don't think I could change uh, that. So we opened Picado Mexican Fiscally in Portobello and the space has a cookery school. It's a shop during the day and a rebel cookery school at night. And um, I've been doing that since forever. The pandemic shut down the school, but we're just getting ready to open it next month. And I'm so excited.
0: All that work and everything, that hard work that you've put in is really paying off now, and you've such a great profile. You're on TV, you're at the the various different food festivals, and, of course, your most recent accomplishment is the publication (laughs) of your book, which is called Tacos, but let's talk tacos now, Lily, because there was a a repeat yesterday, an episode of Friends, and they were having taco night, and I said... (laughs) If Lily is watching this episode, she will not be happy because what Ross had in his hand for a taco was not what you would call a taco. A taco is a dish. It's a dish, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I I think that was when when people read the book, they 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 get that sense of despair, uh, I think, initially. Because and they, they were the tacos most Irish people were familiar with uh, and not that many were familiar even with those tacos 20 years ago. But even now, a lot of people in Ireland, that's the image they have of a taco, which is this processed crunchy shell that you buy in a run of the mill supermarket. And has absolutely no resemblance to Mexican tacos whatsoever. Uh, I'm not saying they're not tasty, but they're not really Mexican food. So um, when the pandemic hit and I had a lot of time in my hands and like most people in the food industry, we were all panicking and thinking, what are we going to do? Um, I got a call from Kristen Jensen, who I known for years and years and years, and I, I honestly credit herself and Caroline Hennessy uh, for um, for what I do now because they were so encouraging at the beginning when when I started the blog and most of my writing career. I think it's because of them. Uh, so she gave me she gave me a ring and she was like, "I'm thinking of starting a new publishing house," and I've had um, I've had a lot of time, um, I spent a lot of time writing uh, a few years back uh, trying to get published and I find it really, really difficult and And I said to her, listen, you know me and you know I'm not going to write uh, your usual uh, cookbook. It's going to be quite ranty because I've had these be under my bonnet for a long time and she was like, that's exactly what I want. I want somebody who just, you know, wants to tell a story. And I think the the only book I could write was the one you have in your hands. You know, it's ranty and it's funny and 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 it tries to set the record straight because tacos, tacos are are an infinite universe, right? It's a dish and it could be so many things, but it certainly isn't one of those crunchy things that you buy pre-packed, right? So a taco goes through stages, you get you can anything that you can fold and wrap around uh, a warm corn tortilla, you can call a taco. And, and I think that's what we try and do in the book, try and show you that once you have a really good quality, soft, not crunchy, corn tortilla you can actually turn it into a taco just as you when you have two really good pieces of bread you can make an amazing sandwich with whatever's on your fridge this is the type of uh idea we wanted in the taco book you know get a really great corn tortilla and fill it with something delicious and tender have a few toppings and enjoy a, a proper mexican taco
0: and i think that's a great comparison that Two pieces of bread are not a sandwich. You need other components to make it into a sandwich. And that's very much then a taco is is not a taco. It becomes a taco because of all those various different components. And your book then was the first book from Kristen Jansen's publishing house. So you must feel hugely honoured to be the very first of a number that will now come out because Kristen has been overwhelmed by the success of the Kickstarter programme that she launched last year. And she has spoken about it here on the, The Best Possible Taste. And you've said about, you know, in the past, there have been potential opportunities to publish a book, but it never came to fruition. So seeing it, in your hand for the first time tell me about that experience
1: oh my god it, it was it was so amazing because I think even after talking to her and deciding what we wanted the book to be I, I still couldn't believe it because I had been there so many times before and I was constantly told Mexican food is too niche you don't have enough uh, social media reach. And I think the one thing, and Christine working from from the editing cookbook editor point of view, had also seen that, that, you know, traditionally publishers, because it's a business and you know it's a very risky business as well, th- they tend to go for more established names and they don't really like risk. And when you're starting a business, it, it, you've nothing to lose. Right, uh, so I think that has made the Blasta Book Cookbook series, and by you know association, Christine's publishing house, Nine Being um, Nine Being Rose Books, has been amazing because there's nothing to lose. You're you're just you can reach for the stars, and there's no there's there's you know you're very risk. Friendly because you know you're taking a pun, and I think when we spoke about having the book, uh, you know the the format. She had a very very. She came to me with the book already designed on her head. I just had to fill in the pages, and and we decided the topic together. And I think the success of the book is vastly, vastly. Um, Based on the fact that the initial idea for this series of books was really well cemented and it was already beautiful, um, it was they were going to be illustrated, they were going to be small. They were. I remember her telling me at the time that when you know when you're writing a book, a, a proper well not a proper but a big book as we call it, a, a traditional cookbook with you know. 100 to 120 recipes, loads of photography, the costs are humongous. But there's also, for you, it took me a year to write the book I have now, right? And there's, you know, less than 30 recipes and it's very personal. And there's not one single recipe that would be considered a filler. I love them all. And I can't tell you which one is my favorite because they all are. But when you're writing a book that has 100, 120 recipes, you do struggle um, to get all of that. And you end up, and, and I think it's just happens that you end up with a few recipes that are sort of fillers because you need to make up the numbers. And the advantage of the blaster cookbook series is that there's no fillers they're all because you're not you know this isn't mass produced uh recipes you're just getting a few a baker's dozen uh, and get them into a book and i think that's when when i when i eventually when i eventually understood that i was getting published and it became really really real and once i was finished with the manuscript and i started getting Feedback back with okay. This is going to be the cover. This is like, what do you think of this illustration? And it all become became really, really, you know, real. I was so nervous. Oh my god! And talking to other, some of the other authors coming down the pipeline, they're exactly experiencing the same thing. You get so nervous because you work so hard and you're putting you're putting yourself out there in a creative way, uh, and you're open for everything. So I think. Three weeks before the, the publishing date, I ran Kristin and I was like, oh, my God, I am just dying. Can we just not do these? Uh, I, I just I'm not ready. And I was really, really cold feet, very nervous, excited as well, but mostly terrified. And she just said, look, it, it's out there. You let it go. Put out the love and, you know, you're going to enjoy it and just be prepared for, you know, and you
0: must be completely overwhelmed by that love. You've been in every publication, you've been on TV, you've been on radio and you were talking there about your social media reach.
1: Tell us who was tweeting about the book. <laughs> so I was at this meeting, uh, handi- I was actually giving a copy of the book to the Mexican ambassador and... My phone started ringing, but like I had it in silent, but I could hear the pinging constant. And I thought, this is very unusual, right? Most of my social media happens at night. And why is this the middle of the day? And my phone was hopping um, and I just didn't want to be rude. So I went through the meeting and it was a, it was a long meeting as well because we were catching up and chatting. And by the time I left, it was around, I say, four o'clock. My phone was literally hot and I looked at it and I had a lot of missed calls, but I looked at it and there was just capital letters in one of my messages. Oh my God, Nigella. And I just couldn't, because I knew at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the campaign, she had the Kickstarter campaign. She had tweeted about being looking forward to, to the book as she read an interview I gave in the UK about the difficulties of getting published and that was very exciting but I really honestly never thought that she'd a year later remember um, uh, to buy the book so she had gotten a a copy of the book and she had read it and she loved it so much that she decided to put it on her cookbook uh, corner which is a huge deal not only because I, I am a Total fan of Nigella and always been all her books. I adore her. It was the fact that the review was just raving, and I was not prepared for what came after that because she has such a huge reach. Within honestly, within hours, Christine was overwhelmed with people trying to buy the book from like all corners of the planet. Um. People who were stuck in the book, <clears throat> we don't, I think because it's an unusual cookbook and it's an unusual series, it's very unique. Traditional bookstores were slow to stock. There was one or two bookshops that had it, and this is maybe two days after the publication date, and, and the book's not on Amazon. Um, that was an, uh, a conscious decision. Um, uh, which I was very supportive of. So uh, all of a sudden, the two or three bookshops that were stocking it were out of stock. Uh, Christine was just overwhelmed. I'd say the little post office in Christine's uh, village is just don't know what hit them because we've been shipping books to every part of remote part of the world and it's just been amazing honestly it's just you're so unprepared for it um that I remember reading Nigella's review and going it was quite late by then going to bed and I went to bed with my book and I wanted to read it again because I was like I don't know why she loves it so much uh because to me it's just you know me on the book but um yeah, some of like her description of the book was just, it just, I was in bits. I was very emotional. We were all, all the women involved in this project, because it's an all female project as well. From the editor, the designer, the illustrator, we were all in bits reading that review. And the compliments just keep
0: coming and keep coming because The Observer, tell us about The Observer at the weekend.
1: Yeah, the Observer uh, uh, Food Monthly had the project and the book listed uh, on their top 50. We were actually top 10, which is even more amazing. And I think, uh, again, we have a little WhatsApp group uh, for for the creative end of the book when we were working on it and we were all like kind of going, oh, my God, I'm in tears because this is for a very first for a first book of a completely unknown because let's face it outside ireland nobody knows who i am except my mother and uh for a completely unknown writer and a and a completely unknown publisher this is christine's very first um publishing uh, gig basically it's amazing that you land yourself on on the top 10 of the food observer monthly and again when you look back it's just you know it's obviously luck because we're lucky that somebody picked up the book and read it um and again the impact has been unreal I don't I think I'm gonna have to get a phone a new phone because this one's just gone nuts um and uh yeah we've like loads of people that are non-traditional bookshops like a lot of small coffee shops and a small retailers are stocking the book they're all out of stock we've run out of our first um of our first print of the book so there's a second print that got ordered a couple of weeks ago that will arrive in the first week in march and we're kind of scrambling trying to, how many books do you have? Do you have any books left? Trying to figure out how to uh, get enough stock before the reprint arrives. It's just been amazing, Sharon. I, I just, I was, I think I'm, I'm terrible because I always prepare myself for the worst. I like to be prepared for the worst and I never prepared myself for the best. And, you know, most of the comments, I have not read one single bad comment about the book or the project. And I just think that that's just amazing validation for me as a writer, but also for the entire team uh, for the idea that this, the idea that there is this, um, the idea that there is, there is this need for different types of cookbooks, not just the traditional uh, um, you know, set of instructions for a recipe. Um, so it's really exciting. I can't. I was talking to Kwanji Chan, who's uh, the fourth book in the series this morning, and and he's going through similar stages of me maybe a month ago, uh, going, "Oh my God, this is like, you know, really exciting, but you know, it's it's wrecking as well because you're you're expecting, uh, you're putting yourself out there, and and it it, it takes a lot a lot uh, of uh, nerves of steel to to hold that."
0: Well, congratulations, Lily. The success is richly deserved and keep enjoying it. For anybody that does want to try and get their hands on a copy of the book, where's the best place for them to go to?
1: They can go to our website, picadomexican.com, if they're within Ireland. For um, Also, blastabooks.com is obviously selling the book and Blastabooks is shipping it worldwide so you can get it there and there's loads of I think uh Christine in in the uh, com website has a list of all the stockists uh around Ireland um and you know most bookshops have it now <laughs> um so yeah uh get your hands on one of
0: those fantastic well listen keep celebrating Lily and enjoy it
1: thank you Sharon thank you so much for having me
0: you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, we were celebrating the launch of the new cookbook, Tacos by Lily ramirez Foran. If you are just tuning in now and you missed that, you might want to catch The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Now our next guest this evening is a blow-in to Newcastle West like myself. Canadian-born Amanda Fimiani moved to West Limerick last year and she's launched a new food business called The Cosmic Sweets. I spoke to her last week to find out more.
1: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
0: Amanda, lovely to meet you. And I suppose the first thing I have to ask you is about your name. Your surname is Fimiani, and that is not a West Limerick name.
2: It was nice to meet you as well. No, um, it's not. It's actually Italian. I was born in Canada, and my heritage, my parents are Italian, and that's kind of it. I kind of moved to London seven years ago, met my boyfriend from West Limerick, and we moved over in October. So it's been a journey.
0: <laughs> well, I, I can vouch for the nice men from Newcastle West being a blow in myself. I was enticed down here and I've been here 16 years, wow. but you're only here a few months. And in that short space of time, you've actually launched your own food business, the cosmic sweets.com. Tell me what the, the company does.
2: Yeah. So, um, it was more like a now or never type of thing. And, um, it's basically holistic chocolate and teas so it nourishes you from the inside out basically um my journey through health has always been if people are telling you not to do something or not to eat something i don't want to take anything away i kind of want to have something that you can still enjoy still eat without any guilt or anything like that but also elevates the health levels to you know that extra little bit so i have like raw fermented cake fermentation probiotics really good for your gut um, anything from like gluten-free stuff, vegan, refined, sugar-free. So it still tastes really good. It's still all in there, but you can eat it and enjoy it without any issues, basically.
0: And are you vegan? Are you gluten-free? Was that one of the reasons why you went down that road?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm plant-based. I was vegan for a bit. Um, I'm, I'm not eating any beef. My boyfriend's dad has a cattle farm and I met them in October and I was like, that's it. I'm done now <laughs> from eating them. Um, but I do have some like uh, animal protein and stuff like that. Um, my journey was more hormonal based. So my hormones affected my gut and that kind of gave me this cycle and the cycle of no one listening to me and telling me to be on birth control and all this stuff kind of made me or my inner self really like shine through and figure myself out by my like on my own so I put myself through nutrition school I do herbal medicine on the side um, and through that I've kind of created this line of product that I eat daily and my friends are like you should actually just put this out there so it's not it's not something that I created to be a business it's something that I do every day so
0: and what were you doing before you launched it
2: as a business so I was a teacher for a bit Um, I also have a degree in visual arts, so I did photography, um, graphics and just random stuff. I worked for other people in cafes as well. So I learned a lot of what not to do, what to do. Um, and this kind of just came through over the years. So it kind of puts all my education and my, my talents, I guess, into one thing. So it's been really good. So I do all the photography for, for my website. I did my website myself. Um, I cook everything myself. So it's it's good. It's been it's been busy, but it's been nice.
0: Well, it's great to hear that you're busy. So the, the products have been well received in West Limerick and you have an online shop and you also have a few stockists.
2: Right. Yeah. Um. it's been really good between Ireland and London. Um, so I've been back and forth to London a few times, actually, for like workshops and selling stuff there. So it's been quite good. Um, and I had a fair, I was at the urban co-op in Limerick on Sunday doing their fair, uh, just to test out the waters basically, which was kind of nice, and to see how receptive people are to this new type of eating, and it went really well, so I was really happy with it. So yeah, it's been pretty good. Well, you must see a big
0: difference between the culture in Toronto and London and Newcastle West.
2: Definitely, Um, yeah, so I came from the suburbs of Toronto, So it's kind of like the suburbs here a bit. Um, It's definitely a bit more small town in Newcastle than where I'm from, but it's so lovely. Everyone knows each other and everyone can kind of like help people along. Like I found out about you because I met Chris Towers on Sunday. So that type of line, um, you don't really get that in Toronto or a big city like London. So it's, it's been really lovely.
0: Yeah, it's a bit like Cheers. Everybody knows your name. Exactly. In terms of your plans and your aspirations for the business, where do you hope to see it going?
2: I want. I don't want a cafe. That's, that's set in stone pretty much. Um, I wanted to get into as many cafes and stores as possible. Um, I've been around Limerick to a few different cafes, hopefully waiting on some answers, hopefully this week or next week. Um, And just supply, like supply all this stuff as much as possible and just have people try it and just jog something in them that can like lead them on a healthier journey. You know what I mean? Without Vegan has like a really bad rep sometimes of like being really horrible tasting or if there's vegan junk and stuff. And I kind of don't want to label it like that. I just want it to be as natural as possible and it tastes good. So just just try it. See if you like it. If you don't, okay. If you, if you do, great. Well, I think everybody's been waiting
0: for a healthy, nutritious chocolate to land in the market. Like what's not to like there?
2: Um, yeah, they're, they're honestly my favorite. I'm addicted to chocolate. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. Um, so I I really want to learn how to make it myself. That's kind of how my mind works. I always ask why or where does something like come from? Like what source does it come from? How is it made? So I started making chocolate and I was like, I actually want to elevate this chocolate into something a bit better. So I infused like different types of herbs in it. So basically we have like a Zen chocolate which you can eat anytime during the day, but it's better like after dinner when you want to kind of relax with a cup of tea and you just want something like sweet, like Irish people and British people love a biscuit and tea. Or like something in the tea right my boyfriend like will have five different teas a day and he'll just have a cookie with it or something, you know, so why not something that's gonna encourage you to kind of mellow out a bit and relax your body. And just sit well with you, so you can go to bed and just be eased so i've got a few different ranges of chocolate in there. Um, and they're, and they're good. I love them. I eat them all the time. So I'm a bit biased, though. <laughs> and, and tell me about the
0: ingredients, then, because it's probably very important to you that you use top quality ingredients. Where do you source the different ingredients from?
2: Right. So um, so they're raw chocolates and the only three ingredients in the actual chocolate are cacao butter, the cacao bean and maple syrup obviously Canadian. Um, So the maple syrup is organic. It comes from Canada. That's fine. The cacao bean I get actually from a supplier who gets it straight from Costa Rica and it goes through that whole farming process. Um, So we worked really well together in learning that. I'm actually looking for uh, a chocolate supplier in Ireland. So if anyone's out there, get in touch. Um, And then the cacao butter, which also makes chocolate. It's like the fat of the chocolate that they strip. So I put that all together and then I fuse the different herbs and my goal eventually is to grow my own herbs basically and have that like straight from farm to table mentality Um, but anything I put into them is stuff that I've researched and is just good for you from to like another level like a holistic level of of wellness you know we talk a lot about mushrooms mushrooms are the trend right now but these are similar different herbs that should be brought to light I always like to remind
0: people that the cow cow is a fruit. So whenever you are eating chocolate, it is like having one of your seven a day as it is now. Any plans to grow that yourself, given that you're talking about growing herbs there and that you have a farm at your
2: disposal? Oh, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm gonna try, I would try for sure. Like I have a bunch of, um, I don't know if the weather would, would, would do it for me, but I have like a bunch of um, avocado seeds starting to sprout and stuff like that and they're never going to fruit they're never going to do anything but it's kind of like fun to actually see them grow and do that mentality so maybe maybe in a couple of years i'll it to go yeah because the poor
0: avocado um like i love avocado but unfortunately they're so bad for the environment and we're we're being increasingly educated about how avocados are grown and and the people involved in that industry that people from that neck of the woods would be discouraging people from actually buying avocados.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, And it's similar with with chocolate now, you know what I mean? Um, One of these companies on Instagram is actually making a chocolate-free, sustainable chocolate. So it's meant to taste like chocolate and all this stuff. And I'll be curious to kind of see if that will be a new thing to come into play just because of all the, the struggles and like, stuff that people have to go through to actually make the chocolate themselves so yeah we'll see.
0: yeah food trends are something that we talk a lot about here on the the program and I'm sure coming from Canada we we have a bit of catching up to do in Ireland with certain food trends what do you miss most about the food scene in in Canada now that you're based in in West Limerick
2: I think the issue we're having, it sounds very millennial, is that um, there's no like delivery, There's no takeout basically, right? So not that we, I make everything from scratch and my boyfriend's a pretty good cook as well. But every once in a while we would get takeout. Thursdays used to be our takeout night, you know, that type of vibe. Or on the weekends we can go to a restaurant. Newcastle West isn't really like that, unfortunately. So we struggled a bit when we first moved over. Like if I'm cooking all day in the kitchen, I don't want to cook dinner. That's just basically how it is sometimes and having to like kind of find that deepness inside of you to not just put boiled potatoes on the plate is, has been the struggle, I guess. Um, but it's, it's similar. Like I, I grew up in a very Italian household and I'm very, so my upbringing isn't really Canadian. It's more Italian, I would say. And food is our form of communication it's our form of like it's a love language to us basically it's always around it's always there um my boyfriend eats a lot and he came over to Toronto to meet my family over Christmas and he was stuffed because there's just a constant array because you're always sitting around and you always want to pick at something or something new's brought to the table so I kind of adopted that as well a more I don't want to say healthier but a different version than that Um, so I think I think that yeah I think his parents as well are kind of like learning because I'm like I don't eat dairy and they'll make his mom will make like really good soda bread which is like buttercream and she's like I'm kind of learning to to change things a bit or like evolve a bit more so it's quite nice. And
0: your boyfriend is so lucky to have such an accomplished Italian cook <laughs> in 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 his house because I mean, Italian cuisine is just one of the best cuisines out there, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's his as well, I'd say. Um, he, we definitely eat differently. So it's interesting. Um, I will always have like some type of vegetable on the, t- on the table and he'll have like more of a carbs plus the vegetable side. So it's kind of finding some balance between the both of us where I used to be really strict when I met him. And now I'm kind of like opening up to trying a bit more things that I was strict on before. Um, but he really enjoys it. We've learned a lot from each other as well. And if he's really busy, I'll cook. If I'm super busy, he'll cook. So it's it's a good teamwork, especially when you're moving and you don't know, like I don't know anyone. So I kind of relied on him a bit more when I moved over, but everyone's so lovely and his family's really nice. Um, so it's quite, it's, it's been good.
0: And have you cooked an Italian feast for his family and managed to, to move them away from the, the spuds with lots of butter?
2: Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I cooked like a, a very Italian um, dish, like cannelloni, like filled with mascarpone and ricotta. Um, and it went down really well. I didn't eat it. <laughs> it was more for them. Um, but yeah, it went down really well. And I make pasta for him all the time and tomato sauce or some type of like chicken dish. And, you know, um, so they enjoy it he enjoys it and I I'm a feeder like I love to feed people so even if I'm not eating it it's it's good that I can kind of fulfill that aspect of me.
0: Well I think that's one thing that the Italian and Irish mummies really have in common that they are both feeders and like food is the heart of the home that's something that we definitely have in common and um, I must welcome you officially Amanda to the blow-in Club of, of Newcastle West and West Limerick and uh, we must we must hook up ourselves for a coffee sometime and thanks a million for telling me all about the cosmic suites today if somebody wants to find out more about you and the business where's the best place for them to go to
2: so we're on instagram at the cosmic suites and you can also find us on our website which is www.thecosmicsweets.com. and just pop me a message if you have any questions um that would be that would be the easiest. Basically, I'm always around, always online. And if you pop into saunas, just ask because um, sometimes my labels not always on their stuff. but yeah, we do wholesale as well. I can deliver it. What if you're a company that's considering talking to us, I'm happy to send you a sample box as well. So just get in touch.
0: Fantastic. And look, that's at Saunas in the square in Newcastle West. Rosemary's always. A great supporter of new and upcoming producers. So it's lovely to see that you're in there. And thanks again for talking to me.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, I was talking to Amanda Fimiani founder of the Cosmic Sweets, whose products are created through Amanda's experience with wanting to heal and live her best life starting from within. And earlier on in the show, we celebrated the launch of new cookbook, Tacos, by Lily ramirez foreign with the lovely Lily herself. If you're just tuning in now and you missed any of that, you can catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and all the podcasts are available to listen to wherever you normally get your podcasts as well as sharonnoonan.com and that brings us to the end of the program tonight thanks for listening in and to my guests Lily ramirez Foran and Amanda Fimiani I'll be back next week so until then bon appetit